Coming to you live from Screechers Reach, it is the Hand Plus Podcast, where each week I, Joe Fricky, and my co-host Tristan Mayer break down this week in streaming, kind of letting you know, hey, what happened in streaming? What's some news in streaming? What should I be watching? What do I need to skip? Uh, you know, with everyone working from home these days, we're kind of your water cooler to let you know, give you some recommendations on what to watch and what is kind of crap. Tristan, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask you every week. How was your week in streaming? I had an alright week in streaming. I didn't watch as much as I would have liked to, but what I watched, I really did like, and I feel like there's a lot of news going on. You know, it seems like we're in a time of change for streaming, whether it's the writer's strike or a bunch of different merging stories we're going to talk about after this episode. So it's whether or not I watched a lot this week, it was very ex- exciting time for streaming because it's like in the, a big changing moment. You know, we're going to really see a new identity of what these streamers are like even by the end of the year, you know. So I'm having a good time with it for sure, and I watched some great stuff. All right, yeah, let's uh, kick this off with some news. Uh, start off with some Amazon Prime news. Uh, ben Affleck's uh, next movie, Air, is uh, coming out this Friday. So a lot of talk about this movie. If you don't know what it is, it really focuses on Nike. Uh, launching the Jordan shoe, which is probably the most infamous shoe of all time. Created this whole line of shoe, and it really kicked off this trend. Before that, there weren't, like, shoes based around players, and now it seems like every top NBA player has their own shoe line with various companies. Uh, It's getting a lot of buzz, a lot of praise, people talking about it come Oscar season next year, and it'll probably be nominated for a few awards. Potentially Viola Davis, Best Supporting Actress, uh, Tristan, have you seen much about this movie? What are your thoughts about Air, and have you been able to watch it early? Because I know sometimes you'll catch an early screening someplace. Yeah, I didn't make it. I didn't end up watching this one early. I had tickets to see it on Friday, and I said, "Oh, it's going to be on Prime on Friday, so I might as well just stay home and watch it." <laughs> so yeah. uh, I'll be watching that on Friday for sure. I'm looking forward to it, though. It's been getting crazy great reviews, especially for the performances, and I, I'm feeling like this is going to be a great Ben Affleck kind of cultural reset you know he's had a bit of a rough time in his career rough time in his personal life for the last few years and i feel like everybody's kind of on his side again here so it's cool to see him getting a bunch of praise and a bunch of love for this movie as a director and also as an actor too because i know he just plays a great supporting role in this i can't wait to watch but yeah it seems like a stat cast matt damon you know you have file davis like you mentioned you have uh, uh the guy from rest of development and ozark uh, jason bateman Jason Bateman is in it as well. Yeah, you have a great cast Chris in there. Chris Tucker. So I'm looking, I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, and all these people are involved as producers too, so they had like a creative input and a lot of improvisation happened on set. So I'm curious to see all of that come together to be like a, a cool dad movie. Guys talking to boardrooms and yelling about sports and shoes and contracts and all of that stuff. Sounds like a blast. Yeah, and every like behind-the-scenes thing I've heard about this movie, it, like if you weren't a fan of Ben Affleck or if you aren't a fan of Ben Affleck, maybe you just don't like him as a person, I'd definitely look up some behind-the-scenes stuff on this movie because, you know, there's just so much that he seems to have done where he doesn't, he feels basically like he doesn't really have an ego. He's like, the best idea wins. I don't care if it's my idea, your idea, the janitor's idea. It doesn't really matter to him as long as the best idea wins. And how much of it was a collaborative effort and how the guy that they bought the script from, they were like, we changed so much from the original script uh, and things, so many things were improv, but he was like, everything is really just kind of based around this core script idea. And he's like, I could just essentially put my name on it and say I wrote it, or I could say one of like the script doctors or somebody else wrote it, but he decided to, you know, he basically said the same thing happened to him when he wrote um, 
or when him and Matt Damon wrote Goodwill Hunting that other people came on and wrote after them but they were allowed to remain the credited screenwriter so he did the same thing for the uh, screenwriter especially with everything going on with the WGA right now I'm sure it's just all good press for him yeah it's a I think it's a great story because he see I'm sure you can relate to that like you said the same thing happened to him and that kind of was his breakthrough right that movie so yeah. if, if this movie's as great as it is like that could be getting that writer an Oscar for this you know if it's as good as people are saying it is and especially the script so yeah. I'm looking forward to it. He told a great story, Ben Affleck, during an interview where he, they said, oh, when you're making a movie about Michael Jordan and signing the shoe, like, did you go to Jordan and ask him for permission? Like, what was the process like of, of going to Jordan? And, and cause you don't gotta, his likeness is not in the movie. I don't think Jordan's, like, in the movie as a character. He's, but he's, he, he, there's, like, shots of, like, the back of his head and stuff, but nothing where, like, I don't even think he has any lines, but, like, he's kind of, like, walks into scenes as they end or walks out of scenes as they start. Yeah, I'm curious to see how they factor that in. And I think a great part of the story is uh, he asked Jordan, look, can I make this movie about you? And he said, you can, but Viola Davis has to play my mom. That's the, that's the rules. you got to have Viola Davis as my mom. And Ben Affleck was like, well, it's a very minor role. It's got, she has like three, four lines in the script. But I guess we'll put Viola Davis. I had to call Viola Davis and be like, look, I know it's a small role in the script, but we'll build it up for you. I promise we'll give you some room to improvise. And then Viola Davis said yes, because he said, look, and, and of course, Michael Jordan, requested you personally so i feel like that's a bit of a nice <laughs> yeah. butt around the offer too michael jordan personally wanted you to play his mother so can you please come yeah. play her yeah yeah I, I wonder if it because of how much it is because all of the negotiations from nike to michael jordan they said are through his mom i wonder if it was time to be a mother's day weekend release because of how much it is about his mom yeah i think that'll be a great one to watch the family too you know yeah. dads and moms and people, everyone can gather together and find something whether you live through it in that time you know like our parents generations were they were there for this you know so they know the events but even as an outsider like i know i know michael jordan's run and i know how big that was especially for my own city that i live in so i'm gonna definitely be checking this one out yeah perfect release right in the middle of nba playoffs mother's day weekend i think i don't know if there's a better time to release this movie but yeah i'm definitely excited for it yeah me too you ready to hop over to hbo max i'm ready what do we got joe hbo max not a lot of news going on over there uh it's really just content that we watched tristan you watched the new dc animated movie legion of superheroes was that good should i watch that um, it was it was all right the movie follows uh supergirl and it begins with her origin story on krypton and if you know supergirl's origin she's much older than clark kent by the time krypton gets destroyed she's kind of like a teenager at this point going through early puberty with her mother and then of course her mother dies all of her people are killed and now she is in contemporary earth trying to adjust and she's struggling you know she's going to the mall trying to shop like a teenage girl would do and she's like mall computer bring up the map and she's confused of like why isn't the mall computer bringing up the map and she doesn't know how to adjust to like modern day earth technology compared to krypton so kal-el superman comes to her and says look you're struggling to adjust here you're kind of like causing more problems than you're solving uh how would you feel about going to the the 22nd, 23rd century, and teaming up with the Legion of Superheroes. And he takes us to the future, and he says, look, a thousand years from now, there's going to be this new League of Heroes who are all inspired by us, and they're going to be kind of like the Justice League of the future, essentially. And Supergirl goes and stays with this team to kind of learn uh, her own independence and kind of find her identity among these people. So it almost feels like X-Men First Class in a way where you're kind of watching these young, budding superheroes kind of learn to be a team and learn to discover their own powers and their own identities and... There's some nice twists along the way, and I, the villain reveal of who uh, who the ultimate villain of this movie is and what uh, they look like was a little disturbing, honestly. Like, I was shocked that they looked as brutal as they did, but 
I'm, I recommend this one. And I, uh, I know that a few years ago, the DC animated world kind of rebooted. They did like an apocalypse war type of thing and then reset the whole universe. And uh, this is my first movie watching of that new universe. So I decided uh, I liked this enough that I went and I did a whole binge of, of the whole uh, universe they have going so far. There's not too many. Uh, there was Superman, Man of Tomorrow. There was Justice Society, World War II, following kind of like an alternate past where the Justice Society forms in World War II and the Flash kind of goes and joins them uh, through the time travel logic of the Flash. And then you also have part one and two of Long Halloween, a Batman adaptation of Long Halloween. And you have Green Lantern, Beware My Power. And then you have Legion of Superheroes. So you just have a couple of movies leading up to where we're at right now. And they're going to be building it up to a Justice League War World where the... Uh, the whole team of Justice League. And at this point, there's not really a Justice League. They're just kind of like a few different heroes in different places. And it seems like this Justice League war world is going to be kind of like their uniting of the heroes situation. So I'm having a good time with this. And I was really impressed by this movie. I think the fact that it takes place like mostly separate from the rest of the universe makes it a good jumping on point. Because as long as you like know Supergirl, you're fine. You're not going to have to cross over with any other plot lines or characters. And even if you don't know Supergirl, they do enough to give you the basic beats of who the character is so that you can enjoy it. I don't think it was like one of the best DC animated movies ever. You know, it was a bit predictable. There's a, a character that turns out to be a bad guy. And then within four seconds of meeting him, you're like, Oh, that's, that's the bad guy, obviously. <laughs> and then they reveal it like it's a yeah. twist and you're sitting there like, well, yeah, I figured that out from scene yeah. one of the movie, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I liked it. I'm, I watched it mostly because of Supergirl and I want to get kind of a little taste of Supergirl going into the flash, but it, inspired me enough to go watch the whole rest of this whole universe on HBO Max, all streaming on HBO Max, so uh, check out the whole run. Some of them are better than others, but this is one of the better ones. Yeah, alright. Yeah, I watched a lot of the old stuff, especially when it was tied into the same universe as like the DC animated universe and a lot of those older movies. I haven't really been keeping up and watch any of the newer ones. Do you think it's like on par with the same quality? Do you think it's a little bit less quality, but still decent? Or do you rank the quality compared to kind of those mid-2000s DC animated movies? Yeah, uh, from what I've watched of the mid-2000s ones compared to this, I think the mid-2000s ones are a bit better. They're more put together. You do get the sense of that as more of like a through-line story that they're building towards something. And this feels a bit more like separate stories about separate characters and then kind of building towards something. <laughs> you know, it feels like a phase one of the, of the MCU more so than like a phase three of the MCU if I'm going to compare it to the other guys. But I also think the biggest change here is that some of these do feel a bit more kid-oriented. There is some more violence and action and stuff like that, but it definitely feels like they're going for a younger audience. Like, this Legion of Superheroes felt like it was going very much for, like, a teenage audience, whereas I felt like some of the New 52-inspired ones from the old early 2000s went a bit more on, like, the older teen side, you know? So I think that's a bit of a conflict. But, yeah, I'm having fun with this universe so far, and I'm definitely in to watch uh, where they go with War World and see all the characters kind of finally come together as, as we know them now. All right, yeah. Uh, definitely be interested in uh, watching that one. And let's kick it over to Hulu. Not a lot of news in Hulu, uh, mainly just that PBS is being added to the live channel. So if you have Hulu Live, uh, pretty soon, if not already, you'll be getting PBS along with your other live channels. So, you know, if you're above the age of 50, you're probably super hyped about that news. It's like getting, getting all the shows you love for free. So you get to watch This Old House... Uh, Bob Vila Home Again, uh, you know, whatever kind of other old people channels you love, you'll, or other old people shows you love, you'll get to watch that. So not only will you get to watch 
all your favorite episodes of NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles, NCIS New Orleans. Uh, you will also get to watch, uh, you know, your favorite public access shows. <laughs> I'm happy to see it. You know, it's it's good to have public access TV be out there. Um, I, I call the midwife is on the PBS. I like that show. It's been on for like eight, nine seasons probably mm-hmm. at this point, but for a pretty good show out there. I also like Poldark. I think that was on PBS. So they have a couple of shows in there that I like. Yeah. So not not all for the boomers, you know. I'm in there once in a while watching the mm-hmm. boomer TV. Hey, uh, what's what's the auction show that's on there? Not auction show, uh, where people bring their old junk and appraisers say how much it is or like. It's oh, like uh, the Pawn Stars type of show. No, not Pawn like... Stars, <laughs> but it's like it's classy. It's class. Oh. Uh, um, a road show. The road uh, okay. show. Antiques Roadshow. There we go. I love Antiques Roadshow. I know it doesn't sound like it because it took me forever to think of the title, but Antiques Roadshow, classic television. I love when they bring some piece of junk you're looking at it going, I wouldn't pay $10. And the person's like, well, actually, this is worth $1.4 million. And the person has a heart attack on television. Um, Great TV. Great television. And so not a lot for Hulu this week. So we're going to kick it over to Apple TV. There is a pretty big Hulu news story, but I think we'll get to that. Yeah, there uh, is there is more Hulu slash Disney Plus, but we're going to save that towards the end with our Disney Plus uh, discussion. And we do have some Apple TV Plus, and that is the Michael J. Fox documentary still is uh, releasing Friday. So anyone for having Apple TV. It took me, I read it at first because Tristan's the one that added this to the documentary. I thought there was like trouble with the documentary. Maybe it was tied to the Writers Guild. And because it just said, Michael J. Fox documentary still coming Friday. I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess. But then I already looked it up and I'm like, oh, the documentary is called Still. That makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so I'm a Michael J. Fox fan. Uh, obviously, I feel like anyone in our age group and a little bit older grew up with Back to the Future. And it was just a classic movie that always existed. Uh, his episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm is without a doubt my favorite episode uh so definitely going to be checking that out yeah i'm looking forward to this i'm sure there's going to be an element of a tragedy to it right because he's very very sick and at this point he's kind of like a long the line you know i know this has been shown in theaters a handful of times they had like a limited run to a feed up in art theaters and i've heard really good things about it i've heard it's moving and it's insightful and you get a look into not just his acting career but even like his personal day-to-day kind of life and what it's like to live with that disease all the time and to have to like adjust everything in your whole life to to this one disease that's changing everything. And I, I'm really looking forward to every element of that. You know, I'm, I'm going to look forward to seeing his, I look at his career, look at his working life, but I also am looking forward to, you know, his personal life and to see the balance of that. Because yeah, I look at Michael J. Fox a lot and back to the future is one of my all time favorite movies. And his performance is a big reason why, you know, so I'm really looking forward to checking this one out. And I feel like it's honestly gotten a little bit of buzz for a documentary feature Oscar this year. So if you're getting your Oscar bets in early, we got air and also we got still that I think are both going to be ones for the Oscar ballots. So, you know, place your bets now. Yep. All right. Covers Apple TV. And now we move over to Netflix. First thing, obviously, Writers Guild related. Stranger Things is getting delayed. These kids are going to be in a nursing home fighting against the upside down by the time of the final season. Um, Tristan, any major thoughts on this? I'll be honest. I don't think I've watched the last few seasons just because I don't like how Netflix release model is where they're like, oh, here's a whole season. Also, the episode there's eight episodes. They're also two hours long, and it feels like by the time I'm able to catch up, it's just long gone. No one cares about it anymore. 
I think I think it's really hurting Stranger Things because I think they have like the weekend and maybe the next weekend as people are catching up where it's in the news and then it's immediately gone and you don't think about it anymore. I think if they did, especially with these two hours, if they were like, hey, every Friday, September through October, a new episode of Stranger Things is going to drop, I think they would dominate the news cycle because it would build and people would talk about it and people would feel like they had time to watch the episodes. Um, but I think this definitely hurts and I hear this news and I don't care and it's crazy for someone who just I've loved all of the seasons I've watched I love season one season two season three uh, but like season four I didn't watch I don't even know how many seasons are out and I feel like yeah, a lot I, of people feel the same way I love the most recent season but I don't blame you at all for feeling that way because the length of the episodes turned me off and it really took me a while to get to it and yeah, by the time I had finished it, it felt like no one had, was talking about it anymore, and all of the interesting discourse was long gone, you know? So you feel like you're missing out more so than enjoying the show, and I feel like that's going to be Netflix's downfall. We're going to talk a later bit later on a bit about how, like, is this streaming world maintainable at this point financially and just, like, culturally? And I think Netflix would have a much better time if they were releasing stuff weekly, especially if you're going to do, like, the two-hour episodes, like, three-hour episodes, but... Why not make it feel like you're dropping a, a movie every week for Stranger Things, right? Especially when you're going into the final season here. Yeah. Like, it would be epic if every week you're getting a movie of Stranger Things or maybe even every other week, you know? Mm-hmm. They really wanted to make it last, especially with the delay here and a bunch of content being pushed back because of the writer's strike. I could see them. Like, if I'm Netflix, I would definitely be going that route for the final season. At least two episodes a week, something like that. Some kind of way to stretch it out because it's your biggest hit by a mile and you don't want to just drop that and go, you know? Yeah, because if they dropped it Friday night, if Friday nights every, you know, every Friday night they dropped an episode, I feel like people would have the time because you essentially have until Monday to watch that episode. And uh, people will, you know, have that time. with. But like you said, when you're dropping eight two-hour episodes, like, you just look at that and it just feels so daunting and you're like, I don't have time for this. Yeah, I think it's notable that Stranger Things is not even close to the only show that's been affected by the writing strike and gotten the show shut down. Cobra Kai for Netflix is also, they were in the writing stage, and of course they aren't writing anymore. Abbott Elementary Season 3 was also shut down. Uh, American Horror Story, of course. Uh, Big Mouth, they're in their final season, but not right now because the writer's room is not right in the episodes. And I think the biggest one for us personally is Andor Season 2. It has a bit of a shakeup going on. Uh, Tony Gilroy has... Has stepped away from the project despite the fact that it's in production right now and shooting. So they have no head on their beast right now. Yeah. Uh, it makes me very nervous about the second season of Andor, you know? But uh, I think, yeah, we're not, this is not the only show that's going to be facing delays. And thankfully, it's a big enough show that it's going to be a delay, not a cancellation. But we might be seeing some other shows getting themselves canceled. And yeah, I can't wait to see these kids play teenagers when they're like 45, you know, by the time they shoot these seasons. So. Like, I know on CBS, this isn't really streaming related, but SWAT originally got canceled, and now it's been renewed for a seventh and final season, and I almost wonder if that's writer strike related because they know they can bring in, you know, people to cross the picket line for a show that I've not seen a single episode of, but I gotta imagine SWAT on CBS, the episodes mostly just write themselves, and so they're like, you know what, we can actually make this show and just continue it, uh, and hopefully this will help get us through the writer's strike. Yeah, I'm really curious because, yeah, you scroll down that list right now of shows that are affected, and there's just so many on so many various levels. You know, like Severance Season 2, the first season was a huge awards hit, and now the second season is in chaos. It was already 
in chaos before the writer's strike and now there's a writer's strike so are they even going to be able to get this show done at all you know that's my question is does severance come back for a season season two at all at this point you know and that's the question on a lot of these shows minds right because stranger things is a big headline but i'm looking at a big long list right now of shows yeah i think a lot of shows are going to wind up canceled depending on how long this writer's strike goes yeah and we're looking at they're only a couple of days out from the actors guild uh negotiation deadline so we might be seeing the acting guild uh sag going on strike sooner than later and a few weeks after the lad, the producers, or a few months after the lad, the producers guild is going to be in a few debates too. So we might see a huge scale shutdown across all Hollywood if this doesn't get uh, sorted out soon. Yep. And from what the way the studios are talking about it, it seems like they don't, they're not interested in shutting it down anytime soon. You know, they they're not really caving on any of the big issues. So it doesn't seem like it's going to go away, going to go away anytime soon. Nope. All right. So we talked about the news. You ready to talk about some content? Let's go. Finally get us some content, Joe. Get us get us some of that tasty good content. Alright, so the first one is a show my uh, fiance's been binging uh, all since basically last week and that is Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story. If you're a fan of Bridgerton, this is a spinoff focusing purely on Queen Charlotte. I never really watched Bridgerton. I didn't watch Queen Charlotte. I don't know how this necessarily relates to Bridgerton. Tristan, you watched it though. Uh, is this as good as Bridgerton? Is it going to follow the hype of Bridgerton, or is this just going to be a spinoff no one really cares about? Yeah, I mean, I love Bridgerton. I'm a big fan of, of Bridgerton and the tone and the kind of setting. I've mentioned that it feels like Game of Thrones meets Gossip Girl, where it has that Game of Thrones political intrigue, but it also has that like ridiculous tongue-in-cheekness of, of a Gossip Girl kind of like teen drama. <laughs> and uh, this one is a prequel. It's set a, a couple decades, I want to say, before the show uh it follows queen charlotte the future queen charlotte who's now just a young woman trying to uh find love and move her way up politically and she's fallen in, in love with and trying to blossom a relationship with a young uh soon to be king george you know so the i think what makes this show fascinating is that it's historical in setting in some context but it's also very much fiction and it starts off from the very first scene with a voiceover telling you like look this is not a history lesson this is uh, fiction told through fact essentially and you know we're going to have some moments of truth but there's really just going to be a fictional story uh set within the historical world and i really enjoyed this i think it's a much much tighter story than bridgerton honestly is because i like bridgerton but i feel like this is a bit more focused in the fact that it's only on essentially following one character's growth from young woman to you know political leader i think that helps a lot and i think especially the fact that it's all directed by one guy, uh, Tom Verica, who was kind of like a house director for Shauna Rhimes' company. He's done a handful of episodes of a bunch of different shows, and now he gets a chance to essentially do a whole miniseries to himself. And Shauna Rhimes also gets sole writing credit on almost every episode. There's one episode that was written by somebody else, and then there's one that she has a co-credit with. But I think that makes it feel very unified, and I, I liked it a lot. I think you something I, I really appreciated was the portrayal of King George too. Cause we know King George is the mad King. He, you know, we don't miss someone who struggled with mental illness and some kind of like psychological problems in his, in his life. And the second season of Bridgerton brings him in as kind of like an older man who's on the verge of death. And you kind of get this sympathetic portrayal of him where you like see this, this man who was a great leader in at least in prestige, but is, you know, falling apart and barely able to function. And this shows him at his youth when, He's kind of just starting to have those symptoms pop up and just starting to see those problems in his life. And you get to see what the barbaric ancient treatments were like for somebody who has mental illness and somebody who, you know, has some kind of 
disease that they can't understand. You know, when you get kind of like that witch doctor experimentation kind of scene where they're doing all these unspeakable things to young King George to try and straighten him up, and make him, you know, the traditional royal. And this kind of goes into the whole thing is that, you know, there's no traditional definition of what a royal really is. Queen Charlotte on the face of it doesn't seem like someone that you would praise as a big, historically big, uh, important person. But this movie kind of like shows her as someone who really influenced history, really influenced King George and really shaped this era of, of England, you know? So whether that's true or not, I feel like it's a good perspective. You know, the people who are behind the scenes, the women who are kind of overshadowed by their husbands in the history books could be the ones who are really kind of making the things happen, you know? And if you're a fan of Bridgerton, I don't see why you wouldn't like this. It's a bit more serious and a bit more kind of like separate from Bridgerton, but you do get some great appearances from young versions of characters we know. And you get some appearances in older versions too, because it's kind of like a layer where the older Charlotte is sort of telling the story to you. So you get you get scenes of her as an older woman, as we know her from Bridgerton, and they're kind of continuing the Bridgerton timeline. And then you kind of flash back for the majority of the time to her youth. So you get little moments where characters you don't expect to see might show up, and you might forward a plot line or two from, from Bridgerton. You know, so you're gonna get a bit of a, a book of Bubba Fett thing going on here. You know, so maybe you got to watch this more than you think you do. If you're looking forward to Bridgerton season three, that's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically what I've gathered, it's the House of the Dragon to Bridgerton's Game of Thrones. Yeah, and I think that's definitely true. And I think the fact that you it's also that because you can watch it by itself and still get a lot out of it. You're not going to get 100% of it, but you're going to get like 90%, you know? So I think if you haven't watched Bridgerton yet, and for some reason this intrigues you more than Bridgerton does, I, I definitely recommend checking it out. All right, you know my taste well enough. My fiance keeps trying to get me to watch Queen Charlotte. Should I watch Queen Charlotte? No, I think me. you'll enjoy it. You know, you're not going to be on the same level as me where you're going to be like invested in the characters as much as I am. But I think it's a good, tight, contained story. And I think the historical stuff will interest you. I think the King George stuff will interest you. And like, there's this core romance that I think is really enjoyable, especially because you know from history, like they do where they do end up, you know? So you get kind of like, oh, they're like, Will they, won't they, but we know that they will, (laughs) you know? All right. And then also on Netflix, you watch the uh, classic uh, George Lucas movie, you know, the movie that inspired generations of filmmakers, and that movie is American Graffiti. Was this a first-time watch for you, a rewatch for you? It was a rewatch, but it's been like a really, really, really long time <laughs> since I've seen it. You know, it was I watched it back when I was getting in my true hype days of Star Wars, and I was like, "Oh, George Lucas directed this. I, I've got to watch it." And I remember when I watched it as a young kid, thinking it was okay. You know, but I wasn't really super blown away by it. It wasn't one that I felt like coming back and watching and revisiting at any time. You know, but Netflix dropped it just uh, within the last couple of days on Netflix, so I decided, you know what, I'm gonna throw. American Graffiti back on. You got a great cast. You got Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfuss and, you know, pretty, pretty stacked lineup of people. Richard and of Dreyfuss, course, George, big in the news today. Or big in the yeah, news he also has some nice headlines going on this week. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, I like this a lot. I think George Lucas does actually like a great job of just capturing this time and this place and the little details of it and the kind of feeling of it. And you know that he, he experienced this, you know, like this is essentially like based a lot on his youth and his time as a young kind of jockey racer in the deserts of California, you know, and I feel like you can see the personal, the personal touch in here in a way that I feel like everything after probably star Wars is lost in George Lucas's filmography where he just kind of is, I love his movies, but you don't get the personal small scale kind of touch of this where you, you feel like he's portraying stuff that he's lived, you know, that he, or even the life he wished he lived, you know, I feel like there's a lot of nostalgia 
a glow of nostalgia to this movie, and I'm I'm really happy with it. I think it's a great, like, youthful coming of age. If you're a fan of like Days and Confused and those kind of movies, I definitely think you'll get a blast out of this one. And I yeah, I was just really impressed by how well he captured the time and the place of of these people in this one little moment of their lives. You know, when you first graduate high school and you feel like you have all of the future ahead of you, but also you'll feel like you know your your prime of your life might be over. You're like, oh my god, how am I gonna live? Now that I'm not in high school, you know, and I feel like it captures that youthful time where you're looking to figure out what your future is going to be. And it also captures that nostalgic glow of like, you know, the 60s in California and the neon and all the cars and those kind of things. Yeah. All right. So check it out. Watch it. Enjoy it. That's what I'm getting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to recommend American Graffiti is an all time classic, but, you know, I feel like people don't necessarily go back and watch it. You know, they know George Lucas is the Star Wars guy. They might not might not have seen this one, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you aren't a Star Wars fan, you might love this because it's not a Star Wars. It's, it's not Star Wars at all. You know, it's it feels much more personal and small scale than you might be expecting. Yeah. Okay. And then I believe that wraps us up with Netflix and moves us over to Paramount Plus. So we had some highs and we had some lows this week, and Paramount Plus definitely hitting some lows. Uh, their stock dropped 28% after earnings, as major an- analysts have called for the complete shutdown of Paramount Plus and to no longer have a direct-to-consumer service, uh, basically saying the streaming marketplace is too crowded and Paramount Plus may not be profitable until 2027. And that leads us to the question, is this streaming bubble bursting? Uh, for me, I think when you had Hulu and Netflix and they were kind of the only two players in town, they're pretty much what everyone had. But now when you have Hulu, Netflix, HBO Max, Amazon Prime, Paramount+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus, um, Freevee, uh, you know, and 500 other million streaming services it gets diluted and sure some people have multiple but no one has every one unless they're a billionaire mm-hmm. um, and people will jump around and bop around and essentially i feel like the average family and my guess would it probably has three would be that they're actively paying for they may have four five six but they're borrowing passwords and sharing passwords uh but for the most part i would say the average family is probably paying for two to three streaming services and I just don't think, especially when you're Paramount Plus, like, sure, they have the Yellowstone spinoffs. And, but other than that, what is Paramount Plus offering you that makes you like, I need to be a Paramount Plus subscriber? I really just don't know what there is that if you're looking to cut your budget at all and you see Paramount Plus and you go on Paramount Plus to see what you watch on there, I got to imagine people just don't see the need for it and it makes sense like for them not to be a streaming service yeah for me i I think of a quote from uh, i think it was this week or so uh a different world of media uh xbox is also going through some hard times right now and phil spencer the president of xbox had an interview and he said something along the lines of it's hard to feel motivated and spend money when you're competing for last place you know and i feel like paramount kind of feels that right now where they're not Netflix. They're never going to be a Netflix level. They're never even going to be an Amazon Prime level. They're not going to be an HBO level. And it feels like they're spending tons and tons of money to compete for like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth place on the ranking of the streamers. So I feel like they may realize that there's more money in 
selling your properties to other platforms than there is than actually having a yeah. platform, right? Like, imagine how much HBO would pay to be the exclusive streamer of Top Gun Maverick, you know? Yeah. I feel like that is a money bucket waiting to be, you know, punctured. So yeah. I think Paramount's going to realize, yeah, we might make a lot more money on just scrapping this platform and selling our biggest movies and TV shows to other platforms. You know, Twin Peaks that we just talked about to our friend of the show, Johnny, uh, about looking for Twin Peaks, couldn't figure out where it was at. He's like, man, I guess it's not streaming. And we were like, no, it's on Paramount Plus. And I feel like that's the problem is people don't even think of Paramount Plus as a streamer. They're like, oh, wait, I forgot to even check that one. <laughs> you know, so unless you can mark out a little niche for yourself from like an identity, like something like Shutter, you know, can survive because it has a, a niche fandom that will pay for it you know i don't think paramount has like yeah. a following in that way yeah the only thing i guess they really have that people care about is star trek but i feel like amazon prime is slowly moving towards like the older crowd because if you look a lot of their things like terminal list the jack reacher show a lot of it is i think like a slightly higher brow version of like the ncis's of the world that I almost think they'd be better off just selling a lot of their properties or like licensing a lot of their properties to Amazon Prime and moving that stuff over to uh, Prime and allowing Prime to make those shows, especially like something like a Star Trek show to me would fit perfect with Amazon Prime's lineup of shows. Um, a Mission Impossible show I feel like would fit perfect in Amazon Prime's lineup of shows. Like I feel like that's just uh the better move for them moving forward because i really don't know anyone who has you know like like we've been on the show has there ever been really a time where you and i have like oh you need to get paramount plus because you need to watch this show never never you know they have things that pop up that i like you know rupaul's drag race is starting up in paramount plus like next week that'll be something i watch you know but it's not like a you got to watch this right now. We got to talk about it on the show. It's like you sit down and you watch it because you're already into the thing, but you're not watching it because it's like a, a water cooler show. I always go back to HBO and how HBO Max has that Sunday night drop where it's like no matter what show it is, you'll feel like you're getting an, a, a statement of quality on it. You know, I would turn in to watch something on HBO just because it's on HBO and it's probably going to be worth watching. And if it's not, then whatever, I'll give it a couple episodes. But I don't feel that for Paramount Plus. You know, I'm not sitting there. You know, whatever Paramount Plus drops, I'm going to watch because it might be good. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm barely paying attention to what Paramount Plus drops. And stuff like Yellowstone is getting great ratings, but it, you can also see Yellowstone had some pretty negative headlines this week, too. And their big cash cow might not be uh, have a lot of milk left in it uh, without Kevin Costner around. So who knows? And even Yellowstone, like, is a show I haven't ever watched, but I feel like I'm not hearing the level of talk about it, especially all of the spinoff shows on Paramount Plus, like 1923. Like, there's a show with Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren out there. That's a spinoff of one of the biggest shows, at least popularity-wise, in recent years, and I've not heard a single person talk about it. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely a big problem too. You know, because we got to remember that the internet is not the whole world, and like a lot of middle America doesn't care about Twitter, doesn't care about you know going online and talking about the shows they like. And when you look at stuff like Yellowstone, the ratings are huge. It's like one of the best performing shows in all of streaming, yet no one talks about it. You know, and I feel like this is honestly a yeah. sign that like the social marketplace what determines success even more than just ratings right now yeah yeah i agree and you know there's other streaming services merging like hbo max and discovery plus uh, merged and i feel like we can kind of lead this into our disney uh, plus conversation um because i don't have much more to say about paramount plus it's kind of a continuation of the same conversation but bob Iger, uh ceo of disney said in uh their earnings call today basically hinting that well not so much hinting but essentially saying that 
if you have both Hulu and Disney Plus, you will be able to watch both on the same app as kind of their end goal for the end of this year. And like, so you'd still be paying for both, but on the same app, you'd be able to access both uh, pieces of content. And also, uh, in twenty twenty four, essentially, uh, I guess how the deal is uh, with Disney Plus or with Disney and Comcast both owning parts of Hulu. I think they're really the only two owners left. Disney's um, basically. Uh, bought up everyone else besides Comcast. Comcast owns, I believe, like around 25% or 30%, somewhere around there, of Hulu. Um, but in 2024, Disney can either go to Comcast and say, we are buying you out and there's really nothing you can do about it, or Comcast can go to Disney Plus and say, we want you to buy all of our shares and there's really nothing you can do about it, I guess is how that uh, deal is set up. So my guess and my theory is in 2024, Disney is going to buy all of Hulu and just absorb Hulu into Disney. I think the first stage of it will be, oh, through this app, you can watch both Disney Plus and Hulu. And I think by the end of 2024, there will be no more Hulu. And then probably all of the Hulu originals will just be another section on Disney Plus where they have like Star Wars, Marvel, Nat Geo. I think Hulu uh, will just be an option. And then to get all of the Hulu originals. And then I think Disney Plus will just have more live content. And like, or maybe through Hulu, when you click on Hulu, it'll take you to the live content. Like where you can yeah. watch Hulu live, basically. Yeah, I think my biggest question right now, honestly, is about the live content. Like Hulu has Hulu TV. I'm not sure how successful that is for them, you know, but I could, I'm wondering what the future is because I don't necessarily see Disney getting into like live TV in that way, you know, and I I'm, don't know what to expect from it. But yeah, I definitely agree with you that I think next year Disney will be buying out Hulu and Comcast has that big share and they've been wanting to sell it, but nobody wants to buy it. <laughs> so it feels like Hulu is kind of on its dying days and everybody knows it, you know, so no one wants to jump into the Hulu pool with Disney because they know Disney's trying to get rid of it is my reading of the situation. So I think this merging is a sign of the future. You know, they're merging it now and they're saying, oh, we're going to keep ESPN Plus and Hulu and also Disney Plus all separate, we promise. But I wouldn't be surprised if next year, the year after, it's it's one big conglomerated thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see it. If you got if they have a baseline of like Hulu or Disney Plus is $12.99 a month. And for five and basically ESPN Plus you can access it separately but for another 5.99 a month or maybe okay let's just say this Disney Plus is 12.99 a month which it will be probably by 2024 you can get ESPN Plus as a standalone thing for 5.99 or for 4.99 you can get it through Disney Plus and have it basically pop up on your Disney Plus as another option to click and then same with Hulu for another, you can get Hulu as a standalone thing and not have Disney Plus, but you can get uh, Hulu through Disney Plus for a slightly cheaper rate, similar to how you can kind of get Paramount Plus through Amazon Prime, or you can get HBO Max through Amazon Prime. I feel like it'll probably work the same way is my guess. Yeah, that's how I would be predicting too. I think that's probably the best option financially. I think they've been having great success with the channels on Amazon Prime and on Hulu. So uh, I think that would be what I would be doing if I was Disney. You still keep Hulu and ESPN around as these separate entities, but 
with like their own identity and their own brand and stuff like that. But then you can also have them all be under like the same umbrella, you know? Yeah. Because yeah, if I have Disney Plus and I'm like, oh, I can get Hulu for like five more bucks a month, I might as well just get it, you know? But if yeah. when you're saying, oh, you're going to get $20 a month for Hulu or whatever, I'm, I'm not paying that, you know? Yeah. 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 And basically do like, oh, for $25, you can get all three. Mm-hmm. And for $30, you can get Hulu Live or something like that too. And not just uh, the Hulu content. Um, because, I mean, it really doesn't cost them anything. You know, it's, I mean, I guess more bandwidth. But other than that, it's, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what happens. I think slowly some of these corporations and some of these uh, streaming services are going to merge. Like, maybe Paramount Plus doesn't sell off their stuff. But maybe Paramount Plus goes to Apple TV and says, like, hey, us together, as far as viewership and subscribers, are like fifth and sixth place. What if we just merge our services together, split everything 50-50, and uh, we can bump Apple Paramount to third place? Yeah, I think we're definitely going to be seeing that. You know, I, I comparing once again to the video game industry, but the video game industry is seeing tons of acquisitions right now, tons of indie studios being bought up by the big two or three to kind of bolster their roster, you know? So I could see it being like Netflix buys somebody, Apple buys somebody, Amazon buys somebody, and then... We've got we're back to the point where we have three or four platforms in that, but you know it's just like a more stacked platforms, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the way it's going to go, um, with services merging, depending on how things, especially because outside of the services, Apple and Paramount aren't exactly competitors with each other, so I don't think there'd be like issues with them merging their services as far as feeling like they're competing in other areas, um, but. Disney Plus also had some positives this week. They had a big drop uh, on May 4th, almost a week ago. Uh, And that is Season 2 of Star Wars Visions. If you don't know what Star Wars Visions is, they essentially, in Season 1, it was all Japanese studios um, were allowed to do, like, their own take on Star Wars in the short film, animated uh, short film. And for this one, they did studios from all across the world got to do their take on like an animated Star Wars short. It didn't have to be in the Star Wars canon. It could be like, oh, you're taking the imagery or the themes or both the imagery and the themes and kind of telling your own style, maybe including characters from Star Wars, but pretty much it's all complete original characters. Um, I love Vision Season 1. I don't say I love Vision Season 1. I think in Season 1 there were nine episodes. There were three I loved, three I liked, and three I'm never going to watch again. And... Um, Visions, I thought, you know, started off strong. A lot of great episodes. Episodes I wasn't looking forward to, uh, especially because I've seen a couple Wallace and Gromit movies, and they're not exactly my favorite. Um, But the studio that makes Wallace and Gromit, they released a short, and uh, I really like that one, and I was kind of going into it expecting that one to be the one I was going to probably actively dislike, but I actually really enjoyed it. Tristan, you watched Star Wars Visions Season 2. Uh, what did you think? What were some of your favorite episodes? What were some of your least favorite episodes? I thought this was a great season. Uh, I was concerned going in that when they step away from everything, because the first season was all Japanese animation studios, so it all had that kind of anime feel. There was different styles, but it all had that kind of unified theme of being anime-inspired. And this one, I was nervous because they opened it up to like the globe. you know. So you have animation studios, like you mentioned, that are the uh, Wallace and Gromit studio and people are not at all in the anime space, but I think that helped. Honestly, I think the visual uh, variety of this is so impressive and the stylistic variety is so 
cool. Like, I love Vision Season 1 even, even more than you did, I think, because I'm I'm just so happy to see Star Wars, like, in a new a new light. You know, see the iconography of Star Wars shown in different ways, because I feel like Star Wars has gotten very samey. It's gotten kind of repetitive. They bring back a lot of the same aliens, a lot of the same ships, a lot of the same everything, and this feels like even if it is the same ships and the same aliens in some ways, they're shown in such different light that I love watching it. You know, even some of the weaker episodes, uh, I, I still kind of enjoy, especially because they're just nice little short stories. You kind of get in, you see this part of the world, you get into these characters, and then you get out. You know, I had a blast with the episode later, kind of like the middle of the series called I Am Your Mother, where you had the, the one... One appearance, I believe, of the whole season from a known Star Wars character because uh, they don't really have any known characters, and this is all pretty much original characters and original settings and stories. But yeah, you have Wedge Antilles. Uh, he's kind of formed a flight academy just after the defeat of the Empire, and uh, you kind of get this look at a, a young woman who's struggling, to, you know, with her relationship with her mother. And I feel like in the middle of the Star Wars universe, you can actually get this personal story and it is told through the star wars lens you know like there's siths and there's jedi and there's you know x-wings and or not you know flying around and it, it, it still feels like this personal story for this one woman you know and i like that one quite a lot i also liked in the stars that was a pretty moving uh episode about uh two young people who are after who are now during the reign of the empire kind of like after the fall of the republic and their whole planet all the people have been wiped out and they're kind of like the last remnants of their their species and their people you know and i feel like that is a great reflection of star wars you look at something like leia you know see easy parallels of leia and how her entire planet was blown up you know and she was the only remaining person and what does that do to someone you know i i really like that this is able to get into actual themes and actual kind of like darker questions and just oh isn't it cool when the jedi is go boom boom and fight with the lightsabers you know there is some of that in here too there's plenty of great visual spectacle but i also like that it was able to slow down a bit and actually take star wars and it seems a bit more seriously than i feel like some of the live action shows even have you know where the live action shows have been going down the goofier path and going down the lighter path and this honestly feels like it's going down the darker path <laughs> in a lot of ways so yeah i'm really excited for the next season of this i hope they do you know 100 seasons of this and go to all the other every animation they can find you know <laughs> get anybody that wants to make a short to make a short and bring back some of the great studios like i love to see some of the people who made some of the best work in this season come back and make one for next season you know i can't wait to see what they do next year what is the what do they pick for the studios you know is there another like a different change of theme is going to be all studios from this country or that country i could see them doing anything so i I can't wait to see what they do next but yeah i love this and if you're tired of star wars you're kind of sick of the same beats over and over and over again i think this is a great refresher and just like last year, I watched this and I feel reinvigorated for Star Wars. You know, like I'm just hyped for whatever Star Wars is going to do next. Like I'm really back into the world again, and it's all because of the show. How would you feel if they do one more season? You know, uh, animation studios around the globe, and then season four they announce is the sequel season, where season four is all going to be sequels to episodes, random, you know, episodes that they feel like they want to see the story continued in, like seasons one through three. Yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. I'm, I think part of the appeal of this is that you just kind of jump around. You're not necessarily needing to watch anything else, you know, but I think there are a couple of episodes this season and last season that I would like to see picked back up again. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I am. I don't need all of them. Not all of them. And it's not even quality. It's just like, okay, the stories, they started, they finished, and they, you know, ended it. But other stories where I'm like, oh, man, I really want to see what happens next. So I think it'd be really cool if some of the episodes got sequels. 
Um, but yeah, like, I, think... I, I, I just also noticed that Dennis Lawson actually voices his yeah. own character, uh, comes is. back to, to reprise Wedge Antilles. Uh, but yeah, you know, back from Ray Skywalker, hitting the highs. Yeah. He was like, oh, I want to do something else in Star Wars. Like, I remember he was fighting, like, and episode seven came out and he was basically like, oh, I'm not, I'm not coming back. I don't want to come back. Like, this is dumb. I've done Star Wars. It's over. That part of my life is over. And then he saw basically how popular it was getting and how much money they were. And he's like, yeah, I'll come for a cameo and in episode nine and now he's coming back and voicing wedge antilles in a random um episode of star wars visions so we see how much that his tune has changed yeah i i'm i'm cool to see him back you know what i'm glad that they do throw him like a character here and there but it's not really about characters coming back mm -hmm. right yeah so it's just like here's the one character that's back and i don't yeah believe any other character returns from what i noticed of what i watched you know there might be some random character in the background that i didn't notice is some other thing for some other thing or whatever but yeah i didn't notice any other connections yeah all right uh anything else you want to talk about content this week are you ready to move on to our next conversation yeah i'm ready to move on we got uh, another conversation here and yeah I w we watched a lot this week but vision is probably my favorite watch yeah. you want to just well did you want to talk about the tony gilroy uh situation we talked about it a little bit earlier, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous about this. I won't lie. The first season was so well written and so well put together. And you think of some of those great episodes like the Andy Circus arc in the prison, you know, and a lot of that works because of the writing. And even though the scripts are done, we know there's a lot of rewrites, a lot of changes happen as the seasons are going along. And he's not going to be involved in that. So I wonder what this looks like. There's been plenty of shows uh, last time where they continue production despite not having their writers. And then the show's were terrible <laughs> you know and they never like saved mm -hmm. reputation you know look at heroes it might have a name already still as a hero season two because that first season was so acclaimed and so successful and then the second season was terrible and the show never really came back from that so i really don't want the one big critical hit of disney star wars to, you know, to all of a sudden suck you know it felt like this was a show people were who were hating on star wars people who were like oh the super cinephiles who are like oh star wars is the destruction of society and all of those things watch this and they're like you know what that was really good and yeah. it would be really embarrassing and depressing to have this that come back again and just be so bad and like flop and ruin that first season that was so great and so compelling yeah i agree um so i hope whoever because there's got to be someone who's like de facto showrunner right now i hope it's someone who's basically been under tony gilroy this whole time and it's just kind of like smooth sailing and keeping the ball rolling. And hopefully season two, it's as good or better than season one. Uh, but yeah, definitely a reason to be nervous if you're an Andor fan. Yeah, not, not, not a positive sign, I would say. No, not the, not the greatest of signs. At least something like Stranger Things is halting production, right? Like they know the Duffer Brothers are their creative voice and they're not going to keep going without them. And I wish Disney would have made the same call here. Yeah, especially when it's not like there's a set announced release date that you're trying to hit. We don't know when this is coming out. You can delay it and then resume production. It's fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, studios are getting desperate, though. They're, uh, Disney did pull out a call to all their showrunners saying, you got to come back to work. You know, you're our showrunners. You don't have to write, but you got to do your, your duties as a showrunner. And most of them are saying no. <laughs> They're yeah. saying, I'm head writer. You, you call it showrunner, and I have to say the word writer, but, you know, it's a showrunner is a, a different term for head writer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... They want me to come back and be a head writer. I'm not going to do it, you know, and I feel like that's a call from Tony Gilroy because 
he got called out quite a bit by people after this show resumed production. People are calling him a scab and a rat and all of those rightful terms for someone who crosses his picket line and goes back to work despite the 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 striking. So I'm glad he made the right call to step away. You know, I think it would have been a bad look for the show and for him and for Disney if he would have stayed on there. Yeah, yeah I agree. All right, you ready to uh, go to our next topic? What's our next topic, Joe? I don't even uh, know where we're at right now. Our next topic is figuring out who our MVP of the week is. Oh, no. <laughs> you got any ideas, Joe? Um, I got one, and mainly because uh, a lot of people worked. That was probably the main thing talked about, I think, on the internet for what I saw as far as streaming goes and my pick would just be queen charlotte the character yeah. of queen charlotte i'm, I'm going to go with the actress who played uh queen charlotte her name is adina amaterifio <laughs> i'll send you the spelling in the chat so you can put it on the on the post here but i thought what made her what gets her the win for me is that she captured the performance of the older version of queen charlotte the kind of like spunky sparky older woman but she captured her with youthfulness too you know and I feel like that's a hard balance to strike. I think of something like Solo where Alden Ehrenreich had that pressure of, you want to capture Harrison Ford, but you don't want to just do an impression of Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. You know, and I feel like this feels similarly to that performance in a way where she was able to make her own out of it, but also have those little moments and those little touches where you can tell it's a character you know. So I thought she was great. Yeah, uh, I'll, go, I'll go with that. And so our MVP for the week of May 10th, 2023 is... Emerterifio. Yeah, <laughs> I like the name, you know, but I should have looked up how to pronounce that before I before I did it, you know. All right, we're good. You you were on the spot. You never remember that this is a section of the show. Ever. You know, I got to do it on the fly. You know, I'm like, uh, oh, MVP. I forgot about that every single week. Pretty much. All right, <laughs> that basically wraps up our show. We'll be back next week to talk about streaming. I believe Muppets Mayhem dropped maybe today maybe yesterday trist one of tris and i will probably watch it because i was excited about it i think i can get the fiance to watch it um yeah and so we will be talking about that and tristan one final question for you oh no star wars visions season one had boba fett star wars Visions season two had wedgie and tilly's what minor character would you like to see make an appearance in star wars visions season three Look, I feel like we've seen a lot of uh, the bounty hunters from Empire Strikes Back show up, but I feel like one character from that lineup that we haven't really gotten a lot of time with is Bosk. You know, I got to get a nice walking alligator guy, you know. <laughs> I like my Star Wars aliens, you know, so give me a guy in a nice little practical reptile suit that can walk around. I mean, it's to be animated, but, you know, he give me a reptile guy episode. That's my Star Wars, reptile guy walking around shooting people. You know, I, I am there for that. All right. My thing is, we've seen a lot of the original trilogy. Well, not a lot. We saw Boba Fett and we saw Wedge Antilles, both mostly what people attached to the original trilogy. I understand Boba Fett was in the prequel trilogy. Um, but my pick would be from the prequel trilogy and give me De Dexter Jetster. Give me a whole episode set in his diner. He doesn't have to be the main character. He just pops in and out. And, you know, maybe it's like a before trilogy type feeling or uh, type feeling of this couple and we're following their love story as they fall in love at this diner and it's Dexter Jetster's diner uh, from Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones that's my pick we'll, 
I like it, Joe. I'd be watching that for sure. We'll be back next week. Uh, and without further ado, goodbye. <laughs>